Welcome back to the program. Every generation wants their children to do better. It seems that to accomplish this today, as New York Times columnist Tom Friedman and others have written, average is no longer good enough. So how do we reconcile this with the data that suggests seeing our children for who they are and focusing on their social and emotional development is every bit as important as their academic needs? How do we square this circle of success? We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Nancy Rose. She speaks and conducts parenting programs throughout the country. She spent more than 25 years studying the power of acceptance in parent-child relationships. She's a former tax attorney and CPA and the author of the new book, Raise the Child You've Got, Not the One You Want. Nancy Rose, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's great to have you here. In all the years that you've been looking at parent-child relationships, have you seen the dynamic change in terms of parental expectations and how they look at their children? Yes, I have seen it change, and it seems to be getting more and more difficult for children to uh, be who they are. Um, Parents seem to be laying really heavy expectations on children to succeed. Um, And, you know, it's normal um, for parents to care about raising a child who is a success. I mean, that's a job of a parent is to raise a child who can be successful in the world. And perhaps because our world is just so scary and fast-paced and and highly technological, parents seem to be focusing on this idea of success more than they used to in the past. And, of course, one of the other aspects of this is the way we define success, more today than just as as wanting the child to become a a good person. It really is about economic success and well-being. Very much so. I think that parents' anxieties over how well their child is going to be able to manage economically in this very uncertain world um, is really driving parents' expectations to focus on that, and it's not healthy. One of the things that I stress in my book is whose definition of success are you using, your definition of success or your child's? definition of, a, of success. Now, naturally, parents want to, um, you know, they feel that they have the wisdom, the experience, and the judgment to know what it means to be a success in this world, in this economy, in, this, in the state of, you know, where we're at now. And um, so they tend to impose their definition of success on their child and um, it's damaging to children. Talk a little bit about what you've seen in terms of where that damage can be and what happens when there isn't that acceptance of who the child is from the parent. Well, we all know uh, families where the the parents are high-achieving, professional parents perhaps, and they have kids, and perhaps those kids are are also quite um, intelligent and smart, but some of the kids in the family just refuse to go along with the parents' expectations of doing well in school and going to the best high schools and the best colleges in order to network with the best people and the best grad schools and the best careers. And 
I think what it boils down to in many instances is that uh, uh, parents may have several children, uh, some of whom are very compliant by nature, and so they're going to uh, take the path of least resistance, which is the, the parents' expectations of, of you know, what they should do in their life. But other children who are less compliant, who um, they're going to start battling with their parents if their parents expect them to be a certain way and it doesn't resonate with the child. You're, you're setting yourself, yourself up for battles if you don't start tuning into who the child is. And I think part of the problem is parents haven't had a way of really understanding who in the at their core, their children are, and what they can and cannot change, and what they can and cannot expect from their children. One of the corollaries of that same point is that if the child can't find acceptance from the parent for who they really are, they're going to look outside for that, and sometimes that leads them to places that are not the healthiest for them. Absolutely. Um, You know, I would say that any child who is looking towards a gang or, you know, fringe elements um, is not feeling part of something greater than themselves elsewhere. And I stress this in the book that, you know, the subtitle of my book is Why Everyone Thrives When Parents Lead with Acceptance. And leading with acceptance is a double entendre because you want acceptance to come first in parenting, but then you also need to be a leader. And when parents are leaders, they stress the family and everyone feels included and part of something bigger than themselves. You're a citizen of a family. And when you're when you're part of something bigger than yourself and you feel seen, and understood for who you are and accepted into this group, you're going to have much less of a likelihood of seeking understanding and acceptance outside. One of the core points you make is that in many cases, the character of the child, the personality of the child, some of the basic fundamentals of who that person is, even as a young child, are really determined almost from birth. And you talk about these nine traits of the core self Talk a little about that, Nancy. Yeah, well, I alluded to this a a minute ago when I said parents haven't really had a a good way of understanding who their child is and what they can and cannot change about their child. And I did a lot of research into this, and it's not my original research. I um, went back to the original personality and temperament research. And, you know, there were... uh, many, many influential researchers in this area, but I chose the work of Stella and Chess, two psychologists who were pioneers in trying to understand what traits kids are born with and whether or not they remain stable over the lifetime of the child. So they started in the 50s and they did longitudinal studies, which means that they followed certain the children, many, many thousands of children, over many years to determine which traits that they seem to have been born with remained pretty stable over the lifetime 
of the child. And what they found is that across all cultures, there were basically nine personality traits or temperament traits that you were born with and they're, they're just not going to change. And so my thinking is, look, if, if I'm talking about accepting who a child is, then I want to know what are the things about my child that they can't change and that I can't change. And if I start trying to mold and shape them into someone who fits my idea of a success, I better be careful that I'm not asking my child to change something that they can't change. Because if I do, I'm telling them it's wrong to be who you are. So uh, the nine traits that Stella and Chess uh, determined, I, I retitled them slightly to make them more parent-friendly so that parents could really understand right away what these traits were. Because obviously my goal is to help parents understand who their children are. And I think I made it pretty user-friendly. Everyone kind of gets it when they read the, the nine traits. And I can go over the nine traits if you like. Please. Well, I'll, I'll list them off first, and then if you want to pick one, we can discuss it. Um, they are activity level, adaptability, distractibility, ease with the unfamiliar, intensity, optimism, persistence, regularity, and sensory reactivity. And, you know, a child is born with a level of, one of, the, of each of these traits, high, medium, low. And I stress in the book that there is no correct level of any trait. There are gifts and there are challenges in every level of every trait. It's all how we look at it as parents. It, it's also important to understand these particular traits in terms of what you might decide to expose the child to, in terms of what opportunities that you might present for them because those opportunities are clearly different, potentially different for every child. Absolutely. If you have a highly distractible child um, and um, you are, you know, the, the parents are really into museums <laughs> and uh, these kinds of pursuits, and every time, uh, every Sunday they go on an outing, and they end up in, in different art museums and history museums, and this distractible child just can't handle it. It's just constantly running around and, and can't focus on one particular exhibit and makes life miserable for the family. And the, and the parents are saying, why can't you just, you know, hang with us? And, and why do you always have to run off or whatever it is? You're creating a real conflict there by not tuning into who that child is and creating opportunities to expose that child to something that's more in tune with their temperament. Are you finding this to be the case across the board today, or are certain socioeconomic groups more prone to, to get this wrong? That's a great question. Um, I'm not sure if they're more prone to get it wrong. Um, maybe they are, but I would say that, you know, in the, in the uh, upper socioeconomic groups, like the middle, upper middle class and upper class groups, you're seeing, I'm seeing 
so much pressure on the children to succeed in a way that satisfies the parents' expectations, and much less so in, in different socioeconomic groups, although it is, you know, common across the board. Um, but, you know, kids who go to super high-achieving high schools where 99.9% of the children go on to college and um, the parents have a belief that it, the, you must go to the best schools in order to, you know, keep your options open and get the best possible jobs, it's, it's pretty rampant. It's rampant. Um, there's a documentary that's been out for several years now called Challenge. I'm, I'm sorry, it's called Race to Nowhere. Right. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yes. But a, a, a woman in the Bay Area did this documentary, Vicki Abel, Abelis, I think her name is, and it's, it's really heartbreaking and, and important for people to see because it really shows graphically in film the effect that this kind of pressure is, is having on children, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And there's also this uh, program at Stanford University that I just um, mentioned, Challenge Success. And this is a, an initiative in the School of Education at Stanford that is challenging this idea that children need to be under this intense pressure to create these resumes in order to get into the best schools, that it's just depriving kids of the opportunity to have a childhood where they can really uh, learn to understand who they are and what brings them alive and what resonates with them so they can make good choices for their, for their futures. Are you seeing a difference in families with perhaps only one child where the family can focus on, on the needs and the development of that one child versus a multi-child family where there's a tendency to, to create a one-size-fits-all that doesn't, in fact, fit multiple children? Yeah, I mean, there are risks um, of that in, in all families. In fact, one of the women that I interviewed for the book, Susan Newman is a PhD in psychology, and she writes extensively about only children. Um, and you find even in those families, and sometimes even more in those families, the um, tendency of parents to project their wishes and dreams, their unresolved their life unlived onto their children because there's only one child in the family to do it to. Um, in in uh, families with more than one child, I think you you know it it can be diluted somewhat diluted d i l u t e d and um, but it, this is common across the board and this is really why I wrote the book to help parents understand these things, but also to get this message out that this is not healthy for our children, that acceptance of who our children is at their core is, should be the birthright of every child, and it, ha it hasn't been in our society lately. You touched on this before, but one of the other aspects of this that I guess parents could see immediate results if they get this right is that it does have a direct impact on the child's behavior as he as he or she is growing up. It does have a direct and profound effect on a child's behavior because 
in order for parents to truly have influence over their children, where they can offer suggestions and advice, and the children come to them with their problems, with their needs, with their questions, and value the advice or the suggestions of their parents, there needs to be a warm connection between the parent and the child. Once that connection is established and the child feels at home in their family, at ease with their parents, knowing that they are accepted and seen for who they are, and that they're part of a, you know, a family unit, that child is going to want to please that parent. There's no reason, and I'm not talking about normal adolescent rebellion here. I'm talking about in general. There's no reason for that child to want to displease their parent, whereas the opposite is also true. If a child does not see, feel seen and accepted and understood, the same kinds of acting out behaviors are going to um, erupt over and over and over again because there's an underlying wound that this causes. There's a real disconnect there between the parent and the child. And no matter how many charts and stickers and uh, motivations and punishments a parent uses in order to try to get their child to comply, to behave, the same problems are going to keep erupting over and over. It's like a game of whack-a-mole. <laughs> the pro you know, you think you fix it here and the, and the issue arises over there because there's an underlying wound between we the parent and the child. There's a disconnect there. We've been talking about this in the context of parents, but arguably the same principles are true in schools, and it's something that teachers and administrators need to be aware of as well. That is so true, and I actually do teacher trainings on leading with acceptance in the classroom. It's been quite well received, although you know teachers are so burdened in many ways already with all the requirements, the bureaucracy that they have to comply with, that it's sometimes challenging to get teachers to understand that this actually makes it easier in the long run. They're not playing whack-a-mole in the classroom with the same problems erupting with the same kids over and over and over again. Of course, teachers have a challenge because they have to deal with what's going on at home. They're not the primary caregivers, and they can't really shift things for the child overall, but they can manage their classrooms using acceptance, leading with acceptance. And I've created a, a, a great resource for teachers that um, it's a wall chart that they can put right up behind their desk, and it has the nine traits, and it has the different levels of each trait. And what it does is it offers them things to be uh, aware of that m will possibly erupt in a classroom based on the different uh, levels of the different traits, the challenges and the opportunities, and how they can lead with acceptance in the classroom. For instance, if you have a highly, highly active child, which is a big problem for, for teachers, is a child who won't sit still is disruptive. And, um, you know, you're looking for a new way of dealing with that. What I recommend in leading with acceptance, and, and of course this is going to sound simplistic, 
Um, but that's only because this is just the general statement. But if you can accept the child's propensity to just be hyperactive and connect with them one-on-one, and instead of saying, why do you always have to jump up and you need to do this and you need to do that, connect and lead with acceptance, saying something like, uh, Sally, I understand that you are very active by nature, and that's a great quality, in a, but um, at the same time, when you're in the classroom, we need to come up with some strategies to help you sit a little more still for a little bit longer time, or something like that, instead of criticizing the child for being highly active, which is something that they have no control over. And of course, in, in a larger sense, and this is a much bigger conversation, but these traits that you talk about, these core principles, really go to the heart of what the child's learning style is. Yes, they absolutely do. Um, uh, a highly distractible child is going to learn completely different from a child who can sit and focus. A highly persistent child is going to be able to sit with um, material and, and really work through the challenges that that difficult material presents, whereas a, a child who's low in persistence who can't get the puzzle pieces into the puzzle might end up just throwing the pieces across the room in frustration. So it really does go to the core of how they learn. And and that's a huge point in my book is that you can't just accept who your child is. As a parent, you then need to be that leader who guides that child to be the best version of who they are. So a child who's low in persistence, who from a very early age is like, ah, you know, so frustrated with the puzzle pieces and just throwing everything across the room, that child needs to learn how to set small goals in order to find some satisfaction and move towards a larger goal and not just give up and go on to something um, something new because they're frustrated. And this, this is a huge problem. I hear this from parents all the time about their kids who want to quit everything the minute it becomes uncomfortable or difficult. And this is a, a, a the trait of persistence plays a huge role in that. And the parents can be the guide who teaches the child who is low in persistence how to adapt, how to take that low persistence and still be very successful in the world. Nancy Rose, her book is Raise the Child You've Got, Not the One You Want, Why Everyone Thrives When Parents Lead with Acceptance. Nancy, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. 